It's been a long, cold, lonely winter, but here comes the sun, sings George Harrison and Paul Simon in the song composed by George Harrison, Here Comes the Sun. Many of us feel we've been through the long, cold, lonely winter after we struggled through COVID-19, global warming disasters, and presidential campaigns that seemed to last forever. But we here at Solution to Violence and our guest today, Mark Steiner, believe there are sunny days ahead. How fast those sunny days arrive may depend on how we humans practice sustainable environmental stewardship. Hello, folks. We are Solutions to Violence, and we are so happy you could join us today. You're listening to Forward Radio, WFMPLP 106.5 FM. Solutions to Violence is a program of and sponsored by Forward Radio. Forward Radio is an affiliate of the Louisville Fellowship of Reconciliation, following as part of the WFMP's public affairs educational programming. The views expressed are those of our guests and not the station. We'd like you to share your views with us and with our guests. Do this by contacting us by email at solutionstoviolence18 at gmail.com. We want to hear from you. Our guest today is Louisville native Mark Steiner. Welcome, Mark. Thanks for having me. Mark Steiner is co-founder and director of Cultivating Connections, a Louisville nonprofit focused on nurturing and celebrating our connections with each other in our world. He has been facilitating classes, workshops, and other presentations on environmental spirituality, the university story, and the work that reconnects since 1992. Mark has worked extensively with the Festival of Faiths, Kentucky Interfaith Power and Light, and the Peace Education Program. He is co-founder of Peacecasters, an ongoing youth program focused on leadership development and using social media for social change. In addition, Mark serves as an adult advisor for the Kentucky Youth Climate Strike, president of the Louisville Earth Walk, and a member of the coordinating team for Louisville Showing Up for Racial Justice. He lives in service to a feline companion and three-fourths of an acre of earth. Welcome, Mark. Delighted to be with you all today. So, Mark, you've worked with many nonprofit organizations in Louisville. Cultivating Connections is just one of them. You've been with this organization while working with other varied groups, environmental spirituality, workshops, classes, retreats, and the universe story. What is Cultivating Connections and why has it had such a strong impact on you? Well, Cultivating Connections is a grassroots nonprofit that I co-founded in the early 90s. Our goal really is connecting people and planet, and we've done that different ways over time. We really have evolved, Jim, in the sense that when we started, we were cultivating connections, very particularly in supporting the connectors that were located all across North America and beyond in support of the creation spirituality movement as articulated by Matthew Fox. So when we began, we published a newsletter that networked those folks and hosted events in different parts of North America where those creation spirituality connectors gathered and shared ideas and celebrated together. Over time, our organization really has evolved to one that 
our focus is more in cultivating the connections within our own community, and particularly connections between people and planet and between different organizations and different movements, as it's turned out. A lot of the important work I think that Cultivating Connections has done has been around linking the environmental and the spirituality communities in Louisville uh, and making connections between those organizations more obvious and profound and impactful. And then I think we've done some good work around cultivating connections between the environmental movement and the racial justice movement as well. So we've kind of evolved over time from how we began, where our focus was much more on a national or international movement to something very, very much more focused on our community here in Louisville and how we can cultivate connections here. So you're connected to religious organizations, interfaith past the peace, probably, and maybe churches? Uh, certainly have uh, great relationships with a lot of uh, faith communities, have done programs uh, in collaboration with the local Unitarian churches and some of the various Christian churches in town in particular. Okay. Cultivated Connections is uh, offering a post-election online mini workshops titled Recenter, Reground, Refresh. In those many workshops, the participants have the opportunity to connect with others for a, a small group process. That's uh, experience facilitators, done by experience facilitators. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, those were definitely a collaboration with the work that reconnects international or national organization that felt that there was going to be a need post-election for folks to do some deep processing and that the work that reconnects provided a good framework to do that processing. And so the idea was to offer as many of those as might be possible based on the number of facilitators who would step up and say, hey, I'll host or co-host because we did these in teams, one of these mini spirals. And so Kathleen Rood, who lives in uh, the Chicago area, and I hosted one, but there were facilitators from all around that teamed up to facilitate. I think over 15 or 20 workshops were offered. We did it once for about 15 participants, I think. And so our focus was, you know, to give people the opportunity to really kind of, especially in the COVID moment, right, to be able to connect with other people around what they were going through in relationship to the election and the election results. And because the work that reconnects has this wonderful foundational model in a spiral of how we explore that work, that spiral could be applied to processing the election. And so that's like going through a four-stage process, if you will, from gratitude, focusing on what is good, to shifting to what is challenging or what we sometimes call our pain for the world, to how that changes us, those experiences, and, and the place we call seeing with new eyes, which we really use as a time for people to explore their gifts and strengths and to kind of name those for themselves as we closed out with that final stage in the spiral going forth, uh, which is about really sharing uh, our commitments to action in the world. And that provided a pretty good framework for folks to process that this particular moment, if you will. So Mark Steiner, these are post-election workshops. Is this also an attempt to maybe help people, we are so divided these days, reunite people with different political views? You know, Jim, I don't, I don't know that that was one of the, the strongly realized goals. The spirals were open to anyone who wanted to participate. But I think because of the networks and the nature of the networks that were promoting these events, that 
most all the participants were people that probably leaned one way on the political spectrum, if you will, and were more progressive than conservative. So we didn't have that type of opportunity with this event for a meeting of the minds, if you will. Much more, it was a, an opportunity to process. Okay, I see. Who was invited to the workshops, Mark? I mean, it was open to the public. So I guess, you know, you could say who was invited just depended on uh, whether who was on certain folks mailing list, right? Because it was being shared nationally through the Work That Reconnects network. Kathleen was sharing it through her networks. I was sharing it through networks here. But I don't know that there were any local participants in our viral that evening. Most of them were from other places in the country. Yeah, I don't remember uh, hearing about it, but is it uh, possible to uh, to uh, pick them up somewhere? Are they uh, online where folks can? No, um, we don't tend to record these type of workshops because of the, the degree of personal expression that we want to encourage and recording can be very censoring for folks. And so to respect privacy and encourage people to share, frankly, we tend to avoid recording. So have you had uh, feedback or has there been a, a way for you to get some some response from the people who have been participating? Yeah, I mean, we had a few folks who had attended respond to a survey that were very appreciative of the experience. I think, you know, a common thing that was identified in that feedback was just the need for authentic conversation, right? And to be able to really talk about things in a a more in-depth way. And I think that our process facilitated that. And because of the way that we were looking at it, it made sure that we came out of that conversation anchored in good work that we would be doing uh, so that we didn't leave people hanging, if you will. Are there follow-up sessions that you're going to do some others? I'm not planned for that. I wouldn't be surprised if the work that reconnects harvests this as a new way to offer programming. And so we might see more mini spirals like this to our workshops around different topics in the future. That would not surprise me at all. So Mark Starr, you, you have also uh, facilitated, quote, Grounding in Gratitude, an online mini workshop in November, 2020. What will be the focus of that workshop? Um, we've done that twice and have it coming up one more time. The, the focus very much is on the power of gratitude and the importance of engaging in gratitude, you know, recognizing what we are appreciative for and being able to give thanks, turn our attention there allow that to impact us, right? To actually spend time with what is good uh, shifts us in some ways. So really offering it as an opportunity to help folks develop practices for coping in these strange times. You know, the combination of, of all the stuff going on in the human world from the political to the COVID and far beyond the ramifications of both, if you will. I think that these are deeply challenging time for folks and the idea of offering some tools that people could use to help ground themselves and focus on what is good uh, would be of some benefit. And I think primarily I thought that because I found it personally to be beneficial, right? To develop a healthy uh, awareness of appreciation and to purposely place attention in areas that tend to bring appreciation and that I enjoy. Yeah. And for me, a big part of that and a big part of the workshops was really experiencing gratitude through the natural world. So very connected to cultivating connections, basic values of connecting people with nature. And so how can giving attention to spending time in nature help us 
thrive during challenging times. And of course, there's so much research out there about the health benefits of nature that we're playing off of a, a really healthy field of research right now that's saying, you know, that spending time in, around, and uh, with nature uh, helps us cognitively, it helps us mentally, it helps us physically, it helps us spiritually. And of course, that makes a lot of sense uh, since we are earthlings, that spending time with earth uh, would suit us well, right? Sure, yeah. We've spent a lot of time locked up in our little boxes. So absolutely. yeah, that's, that's absolutely. So Mark Steyer, you were, there are, are other events, there are all kinds of events that, that had to go virtual this year. Quote, Earth Walk, end quote, is one of those sponsored by Cultivating Connections. It's celebrated citywide this year. Tell us about Earth Walk. When and why was it created? Um, the Earth Walk was created, this, this year was our fourth year happens annually. First three years were very close to Earth Day. It was created, I think, for a few different reasons, Jim. And of course, one of them was to celebrate Mother Earth. Another was to provide an opportunity for the various nonprofits in Louisville that are working towards environmental health in a city that is uh, one that has clean air, clean water, clean soil, right, to work together on projects and also to raise money. Uh, it's a fundraiser for those. This year, there were 11 organizations that were the partners that created the Earthwalk and share in the financial benefits of it. So it has that, you know, that element of raising the profile of these partnering organizations, raising awareness around the environment, and engaging people in an environmental activity. And anytime I think you can get the media's attention, right, to lift up uh, something like the Earthwalk, uh, we're meeting all these organizations need to, to make people more aware of the fact that, hey, we live on a planet, right? And we need to have a healthy relationship with this planet. Yeah, well, you've got the media's attention right here at WFMP. So there we go. Yeah, there you go. So how did that, how did Earthwalk go this year? How did, how did it pan out? Well, you know, the first three years of the Earthwalk, the weather was not very kind to us as a direct, I mean, April has become a time of year in Louisville in the, in the Ohio Valley, uh, where rain is much more likely than it used to be an apparent impact of a changing climate, right? And so we realized that we were uh, working against Mother Nature by hosting this event in April because we were getting rained out. And people were still participating, but not on the level that we were looking for because rain does hold people back. And I, I you know, I have, frankly, I wish our culture was a little more appreciative of precipitation, right? And didn't feel the need to run indoors <laughs> when it occurs, but that's yeah. the reality of an outdoor event. And so uh, we made a very difficult decision to move the event to October 24th this year. And this is full six months late, later than normal. And as COVID hit, you know, that looked like we were the winners, that we had made the best possible decision before COVID was even something on the horizon. As other people, you know, were having to cancel or postpone spring events. Unfortunately, as we are all aware, by the time October got here, we were still in the midst of this pandemic. And so about, I think, five weeks out, we made the very tough decision to go virtual and even had some conversation about what does that mean? What does that term even mean? Uh, because the Earthwalk wasn't becoming something that only existed in our imagination or online, right? But it meant that it was decentralized and that we would no longer be gathering in one place at one time to walk 
flock together and to share that celebration in person. So, you know, one of the things we immediately had to figure out was how to market that. And that's why we just started referring to it as going citywide uh, rather than say going virtual because we didn't want people to think it wasn't happening. And so it was really more of a decentralization. And so people were invited to participate from wherever they were and however they wanted to as well. Because if we weren't in one place with certain restrictions, we did have an additional registration option this year that was like the free form participation in the Earth Walk. And that was do whatever you want in celebration of Earth. You know, if it's meditate under a tree or do some yoga, you can participate that way. So, I mean, it was a major change. It, it changed a lot as far as we lost that celebration gathering, right? Uh, that, that time that we were a bunch of people in one place at one time. And so one of the ways we tried to compensate for that was to create an online program, an hour-long uh, video program that included some of the same elements that we would have had on stage before or after the walk based on uh, the last three years and the way that we programmed. But instead, this was all just happening on Facebook and YouTube. So it's an annual event. It is. You know, they say you're not supposed to call it annual until you, until you do it the second time. But we are now the fourth annual uh, Earthwalk successfully has come and gone. So next year's event is scheduled when? Uh, we do not have our date yet. It will most likely be October, but it could end up being a September date. It'll definitely be fall. And you mentioned it's nonprofit. So are businesses sponsoring Earthwalk? Yeah, the Earthwalk receives funds through people raising funds, you know, like you like a traditional walk or run. Participants are invited to become fundraisers for the event, but we also go the traditional route inviting sponsors. And so a lot of local businesses with green leanings or desire to uh, market to Louisville's greener audience, uh, come together to sponsor the Earth Walk as well. And then the organizations, the, the partnering organizations that organize it uh, divide up funds based on the amount of hours different organizations contribute to the project. Well, finding joy and rejuvenation in the natural world is, is another one of the online workshops you've offered. How does that work with a natural world as a, an online workshop? Well, you know, we spend a lot of time reflecting on our real life experiences with nature rather than trying to engage with nature virtually, right? So really those workshops, Jamie, are the opportunity to process and to examine our experiences and relationships with the natural world. And often would include, you know, a component that encourages more activity when the workshop ends, but it's definitely, it's not the same workshops we would offer if we could be together, right? And so there are things that uh, we just can't do in workshops that we would normally do, but we will take time for, to, you know, to give people the opportunity to reflect on how their experiences with nature have impacted them. And sometimes, you know, we just find that folks really need to hear from themselves. And so the opportunity to share with others, they'll hear themselves say things that they'll realize are true. They just hadn't articulated before. And so we just, you know, give people the opportunity to hear from each other and really look forward to that time when we can get back out in the world together and do workshops that are about nature in nature once again. Yeah, there are some things that are, are positive that are coming out of this pandemic. Uh, people getting together in ways that we've not, we've not uh, done before. And, and 
more often, I think. So what joy and rejuvenation do you have in conducting a workshop like this? <laughs> I guess there's a couple levels that, it, that it's personal for me, Jamie. One is that one of the reasons that I offer workshops that affirm connections with the natural world are because it's something that has greatly benefited my own life. I think that the COVID lockdown experience for me has been one of fair isolation as I'm someone who lives by themselves. And so the way that I've been able to thrive in a world that is very different as far as the amount of human interaction that I have is to focus on other ways I can have interaction. And so that's interaction with the natural world. And so at this time when I'm pulled away from the joys and pleasures of interacting with my human companions, I've consciously turned my attention to finding joy in witnessing and paying attention to what's going on in the natural world, just in my own backyard and on this little three quarters of an acre of um, of earth that I share, you know, with raccoons and possums and chipmunks and squirrels and birds of all kinds. There is a stag um, deer in my backyard right now that has been out there for three and a half hours, watching, <laughs> witnessing, paying attention to what's going on around me in the non-human world has helped me find healthy focus, joy, and meaning, you know, in just even being a witness to the wonders of creation. So it's been a way to compensate for the things that uh, I no longer can do. Hopefully we'll find more of a balance there in the days. Yeah, but it's, it's nice to know, I mean, you, in, even in your own backyard, you know, uh, if you go out and try to listen to all the different bird songs or just the birds that you see, it's amazing what you can uh, discover in your own backyard. It's one of the most amazing things we can do is, and I think it might be one of the, the things that is a real part of what humans bring to Earth's story is this capacity to witness and pay attention. And there's an honor and a gift to doing that, right? To be aware of the beauty before you and to be aware that you have a unique opportunity to witness that and to appreciate it, I think is to engage in powers greater than ourselves. And I, I get meaning out of that. You know, I feel like I'm a part of Earth's story when I am the appreciator of Earth's beauty. And I could convince myself that maybe, you know, that's why Earth has me here was to create a species that has this capacity for appreciation. And and that could look at Earth's beauty and go, wow. And, and I think Earth would be less without that presence, you know, without the witness, without the one who gets to go, wow. Well, there's so many things that you can do. I mean, I was out on a walk the other day and just looking up at trees became a new thing for me. And, uh, and as a process of that, I noticed things on the ground, you know, some pine cones that I hadn't seen before. And then also mushrooms, uh, which were amazing. So, yeah. One of the ways that people respond to nature, right, is to create art. And one of those wild and beautiful experiences expressions of art from humans, you know, is poetry. And those poets who have turned their attention to nature are some of my favorites, including Mary Oliver, who's written books and books of poems, right, that celebrate the natural world. But she has a four-line poem that to me is foundational and is, is my mantra, if you will. And that is her poem that simply is, 
instructions for living a life, pay attention, be astonished, tell about it. That's the whole thing. And, and frankly, when I, you know, when I do these workshops, like the grounding and gratitude workshop, that's all I want people to take away from it. If they can take away those, you know, that four line poems essence, then, then I've had a successful session. Listening is, is one of those really important things that can go a long way in almost any situation. It certainly can go a long way in, in nature. I found that to be true more and more, but listening in groups, listening to people, allowing ourselves to be quiet and listen is a challenge, but it uh, can make all the difference between anger and understanding, I think. Well, yeah, absolutely, Jamie. And, and it makes all the difference. Um, I believe that when we communicate, we're seeking connection. And so, you know, to really have that connection, we want to have a high quality of communication and high quality communication is rooted in real listening. And it's a lost art in our culture. Uh, it's, I mean, I, it's probably particularly challenging for the interview right? Because while you're listening, you're also thinking about your next question, right? And, and that's the human state of listening in general. You know, we don't listen or we primarily listen to respond. And as a result, we hear much less than we would if we were able to listen just to hear, right? Just to take it in. And that happens on multiple levels. And one is certainly the one upsmanship level, right? You know, you start to tell a story uh, and it could be your woe is me story, but I've got a woe is me story that's just a little better, right? And all the time you're talking, I'm thinking about my story instead of hearing yours. So one of the qualities we try to bring to these online and in-person workshops is, you know, to invite people into that art of deep listening. And we'll do pair shares where people are very specifically told that they will not be responding verbally to what they're hearing. And so they can let go that whole part of their brain that wants to be engaged in the response and instead can just be present to their partner and truly listen, hold space for, right? And be present to uh, what another human being has to say to them. And I mean, that's a gift people feel. People that have been listened to know they've been listened to and there's something like, wow, that felt really good, right? That, that person was really listening to me. It's a great gift. And it certainly is one that benefits humans in all sorts of ways, including avoiding and resolving our conflicts. Yeah, it becomes a discovery on both parts, I think. Yes. There is a program called Element Puppets. How is Cultivating Connections a part of that? Program. Well, there are the element puppets, Jim. There are four street theater puppets um, representing the four elements. The representation can be different depending on your environment, but they could be seen as being fire and water and air and earth. Um, but they were created through a collaboration with Kentucky Interfaith Power and Light and Cultivating Connections. So in, I think it was 2012, the Unitarians were having their general assembly in Louisville. And when the Unitarians bring their general assembly to town, they choose a social justice partner to work with in that community and get behind that initiative. And through some good relationship building work, Kentucky Interfaith Power and Light was chosen as the Universalist Unitarian General Assembly's partner around social justice work. And so they wanted to do education work around the climate crisis and how humans can respond to it and wanted to host uh, with us a march and rally. And so I had done work with Mary Plaster, an amazing artist who creates street puppets. She lives in Duluth, Minnesota. And through the creation spirituality movement, I had seen some of her wonderful puppets and thought they would be a great element 
uh, to bring to this march and rally. So uh, we got Mary to come to town and she sculpted uh, these very large heads representing the elements and local uh, artists and artisans gathered with her and helped her turn those into paper mache sculptures that were then rigged up to poles and uh, costumes were created for, and these four element puppets emerged and joined us for the events with the Universalist Unitarians that year. They have a dynamic presence. They stand about 12 feet tall and get a lot of attention. For that rally, you know, we really looked at them as representing alternative energy sources, right? So geothermal energy was represented by the earth. Solar powered was represented by the sun. Hydra power was represented by our water puppet. And of course, uh, wind energy was represented by our wind puppet. And so they kind of led the march and have been showing up at marches and rallies in the Louisville area ever since. They live in my garage. Uh, they're pretty quiet out there. Every once in a while, you know, I'll go out and have a cup of tea with them, but mostly they don't have, you know, yeah. very great needs. <laughs> okay. So the Swedish climate activist, Greta Thunberg, a 17-year-old who has made waves on climate change, came to Louisville in September 2019. Uh, she is not the organizer of the global youth movement, but uh, she became the main base in August 2018 when she started skipping school on Friday to stand outside the Swedish parliament and hold a sign protesting inaction on climate change. She inspired youth around the world, including a Kentucky youth climate strike. What part did cultivating connections have in the youth movement for climate rescue? Well, the, the first big manifestation of the youth climate movement in Louisville was the Sunrise Movement, you know, which is national. But a local chapter started to emerge a couple winters ago. And there was a lot of excitement and energy uh, within young people that were coming together to go to D.C. And this was just at that moment that Sunrise was uh, reaching a peak, a very early and powerful presence in the media when they were first putting forth the Green New Deal and had occupied uh, Speaker Pelosi's office with the support of uh, new congressperson, Andrea uh, Arcoza, or AOC, get her name wrong, I so hate that. But uh, she showed up with them, stood beside these young people, supported their vision, and the media just went uh, crazy for that story. And young people in Kentucky uh, became more enthused and wanted to go to D.C. for a follow-up action. And they made plans to uh, take a bus up there. And in order to make that work, they needed adult chaperones. And Cultivating Connections was, in, was supporting that effort. I went and provided some other you know, resources of support. You know, and let's be, let's be really frank here. These young people didn't need any adults to supervise them. Uh, they're amazing young people that function at such a high level. They know what they're talking about. They're very savvy about what they ask for, how they ask for it, and have learned very quickly how to get media's attention, how to use social media in profound ways. And in a very short period of time, uh, they brought the, the green energy movement and the climate movement to the forefront of the conversation in a way that 
decades of work in the past had failed to do. And as someone who had been a part of those efforts for decades, right, trying to get attention around the environment, it seemed to me that the success of these young people should be centered. And for me, I really thought their success needed to be honored. And that's where I just decided to put most of my energy when it came to the environmental movement was supporting their efforts. And, and it's a unique role, Jim, because you know I'm used to being an upfront leader. I'm used to coordinating. I'm used to uh, holding the mic sometimes, right? Speaking or being an MC. And it's a really lovely shift to support the young people's movement in a way that is a behind the scenes uh, role and to show up in the ways they need me to, maybe rather than the needs that I'm used to or the ways that I'm used to. And so, you know, there's a lot of mentoring and advising that happens rather than upfront work. And it's a delight. I mean, these young people know what they're doing. And, and I think that their success is, is amazing. And it's a great way to support the movement is to get behind them. Uh, I feel honored, you know, to, to be able to support their efforts. Yeah, sure. Uh, how, how is it going now? Are they still uh, operative? Or? Um, you know, as all things evolve, that movement has evolved. And in Louisville, Sunrise is no longer really where the energy is. It's the Kentucky Youth Climate Strike Organization. It's a lot of the same young people you know, doing the very same work. They've just had an evolution in under what banner they're doing that, if you will. And so they're really working to organize across the state and to bring in folks who may not traditionally be aligned with the environmental movement or people that are normally behind uh, legislation and support of that movement and to build a bigger tent. Well, here's another environmental uh, issue close by. That uh, concerns Bernheim Forest. There's a there was a, a Save Bernheim Forest rally in, uh, held in October 2019 here in Louisville. Uh, the rally was hosted by several organizations uh, through, throughout greater Louisville. One of the organizations was Cultivating Connections. Bernheim Arboretum and Research Forest uh, were fighting LG&E in efforts to, they wanted to lay, lay a pipeline through the forest. This, uh, of course, was viewed as a threat to the integrity of, of the forest. So the first threat was the lg pipeline, but the second was a proposed interstate highway connector between North-South 65, Interstate 65, and East-West, Interstate 71. So how was Cultivating Connections involved in, in these negotiations and protection of Bernheim Forest? Well, I guess one way to tell that story, Jamie, would be to say that, you know, cultivating connections so values the importance of people having access to the natural world. And Bernheim offers such wonderful opportunities for people in our area to go and experience nature, both through just self-exploration, right? Just wandering the grounds and through their wonderful uh, programming that they offer for adults and for children. And I really want to emphasize and for children because developing that relationship with nature while people are young is so important to have young people be given the opportunity to develop what Rachel Carson called a sense of wonder, right? Will so impact who they are and how they relate to nature when they grow up. So I think Bernheim's really important. It's also true that, you know, one of the things Cultivating Connections does is work with the community and you know, that means working with other organizations around common issues. 
and we all love Bernheim. So when Bernheim threat became evident, uh, we did reach out to Bernheim and said, we're ready to do something. We think it's probably a march and rally, but we want to do it at the right time. That will be most helpful to you guys in your efforts. And at some point they gave us the thumbs up. And frankly, my friend, Marilyn Stoner, called the initial meeting, and it was a lot of different folks from a lot of different environmentally concerned groups from, you know, the Greater Louisville Sierra Club to faith communities like the Unitarian, the Clifton Unitarian, First Unitarian and Thomas Jefferson Unitarian churches, the Kentucky Interfaith Power and Light, Kentuckians for the Commonwealth, all these different groups coming together. And we met and began uh, to develop a plan, and it became pretty quickly apparent that What was missing was someone who was willing to uh, pull us across the finish line, if you will, and to keep all the pieces moving so that they all showed up at the right time on the right date. And that ended up falling to me. And it wasn't a role I was planning on, but it was a role that needed to be filled. And so I jumped in there and worked with these folks and everyone showed up in so many awesome ways doing their part, you know, from making it possible for the element puppets to be there because the puppets require humans. And really, you know, one of those puppets takes, you know, two to three people, one person inside of it, but you really need guides to help them see and get them through crowds safely. We had a variety of speakers, the Troubadours of Divine Bliss, a amazing local recording artist and live music act uh, showed up and did some wonderful work leading music as well as uh, Ryan Anderson from Bendigo Fletcher sang a song or two for us. John Gage was there singing for us. It was a wonderful event. A lot of people showed up. Um, We had a very powerful march down to LG&E's Main Street location there. And it was a wonderful example of community coming together around something that was important to them. And a wonderful example of groups working in concert with each other to achieve a common goal. Yeah, that's that's a, a an amazing feat in itself. Getting all those organizations together uh, uh, on the same page for even a, a limited amount of time. So, is Bernheim Forest still under this threat? It is not over, and you know I expect that we're going to hear more about this in the near future, and and maybe we'll have the opportunity, unfortunately, to rally again. So, are you going to publish if there's another rally? Are you are you going to publish that uh, information? Absolutely, Jim. Cultivating Connections does publish, uh, I guess it's for seven years now, a monthly e-newsletter. We took a few months off after COVID hit, but we are back on our monthly schedule, Cultivating Connections recommends. And we'll list any event that we uh, sponsor or co-sponsor, as well as events from um, some of the Many organizations we've already mentioned here today that I have deep appreciation from, like Bernheim, like Kentuckians for the Commonwealth, like the Sierra Club, like the Louisville Nature Center. Yeah, I, we really like to use that newsletter as an opportunity to hold up all the work going on in our community that helps connect people with the natural world and uh, connecting that with a call to justice, too, because it's not all just celebration here, right? We, we also need to take responsibility for protecting and preserving nature and, and really encouraging people to participate in processes that help us get to a more just and fair world. You know, some previous programs that Cultivating Connection has, uh, has offered include Earth Spirit Rising Conferences and the uh, Julia Butterfly Hill, One Makes the Difference Tour. Uh, there are others I know you can mention. So 
Tell us a bit about those programs. Well, in, in our earlier days for Cultivating Connections, um, there weren't a lot of programs in our community that were lifting up some of the cutting edge voices around environmental spirituality and environmental justice. And that's a void that Cultivating Connection worked hard to fill. Uh, and so for many years there, bringing out of town voices to our community to bring new vision and help rally us, right, um, was an important part of the work that we did. So that included events with Matthew Fox, the creation spirituality tradition that he has articulated has a very strong element of connections with the natural world and holding up our responsibility to work on behalf of justice, including environmental justice. We did events with, oh, uh, Starhawk, the, the Wiccan author and teacher who teaches about earth spirituality from a much, much older tradition, uh, pre-Christianity. We did some programs with Joanna Macy, who is this articulator of the work that reconnects, a Buddhist scholar who has turned her attention to, to creating processes and perspectives that help connect us to the natural world with the ultimate goal of giving people the strength and resources to do good work in the world and to protect the natural world. Uh, yes, and we, we did events with Julia Butterfly Hill twice. Uh, Julia is the author of the book, Legacy of Luna. As some people may recall, Julia went uh, and climbed up a tree in the old growth forest in California with the idea that she might engage in a two week tree sit, ended up staying in that tree for two years and became quite a media sensation. She did a lot of powerful work in getting the word out about environmental issues through her very unique perch up in that tree, right? And we were very honored to, to get her to come to Louisville. I actually uh, was listening to a seminar with poet David White the other day, and David talked about how, you know, if you really want something to happen, you have to issue at least three invitations. After three, you can let it go. And I did have to invite Julia to Louisville three times before she said yes. And it was very much a worthwhile experience because it's so rare that we get to talk to someone and let someone, you know, uh, communicate to our community that has had that type of impact and has made that kind of personal sacrifice, right? And, and that's something that our culture needs to reconnect with. Sacrifice is not the beautiful word that it could be. We all need to be making sacrifices for the greater good and for the environment and for peace and for justice. And Julio is someone who really did do that. Yeah, so it was, it was really wonderful to get her to come to Kentucky and to get to spend several days with her and just learn from someone that carries that type of deep wisdom, right? And, but Jamie, I think something's changed. You know, I think the need for that type of programming is less than it was when we were really offering that. And so we've kind of stepped back from the bring the guest speaker into town model and have been more localized in our work. And there, you know, there are great voices of wisdom in our community that deserve lifting up. And yet there's always that stigma, right? It's hard to be a prophet in your own town. Doug Van Houten, who Cultivating Connection sponsors or co-sponsors uh, programs that they offer with some frequency is one of those voices, you know, just someone who really has a depth of wisdom and understanding around issues of of the intersections between humans and planet Earth and nature, and so it, it's it's um, it's great to get to lift up those local voices now, right? Rather than focusing on the the kind of yeah guest speaker from out of town phenomenon. Yeah, uh, as well as uh, also 
Karen Armstrong, uh, who won the TED Prize, TED Prize, which comes with a million dollar grant, by the way. Her wish was to help create, launch, and propagate a chapter for compassion. The chapter began building a partnership of individuals and organizations around the world, working to bring compassion to life. Over the uh, first few years, the number of partner organization globally grew slowly, but then began to explode in 2013. By the summer of 2014, over 400 organizations had signed on as partners for the chapter. So how does uh, cultivating connections connect with the chapter for compassion? Yeah, you know, the local compassionate city movement was very powerful for several years there. And, and it really was something that was owned by people that do compassion work in our community. And so folks who do a wide variety of work around a wide variety of issues were coming together at least on a monthly basis, you know, and just exploring what was possible together. And, you know, what did it look like to see through the eyes of compassion or, or one of the questions, you know, that we might ponder was, uh, the metaphorical question of what does Lady Compassion want for Louisville? And Cultivating Connections took a great pleasure in being a part of that for a, for a few years there and was taking the lead on the compassion and earth component of that work. Compassion is a very powerful force and one that is worthy of centering on. But I think the compassionate city effort locally became something that evolved and changed in ways that became more owned by the city government. And as a result, shockingly uh, less impactful and less welcoming of a lot of the nonprofits that had been involved. And so it just became something else and it wasn't something else we felt very welcome or comfortable with. So, you know, one thing that Cultivating Connections and I am good at is, you know, going on to the next thing when it's time. And so really enjoyed being a part of that. And there's some awesome people that are still doing awesome work in our community, but not very involved right now. Well, Mark, you mentioned uh, an organization that you founded, uh, Peace Casters. It's associated with the Louisville Peace Education Organization here. Uh, Peace Ed, for those who don't know, provide uh, curriculum throughout J JCPS and other Louisville organizations. But what, what is Peace Casters and, and what inspired you to create that? I created Peacecasters with my dear friend, Barbara West, in 2007 or 8, when we were both at the Center for Interfaith Relations. And it really was a response to seeing young people using the emerging social media that the platform in that moment really was YouTube, that there was a great interest in young people creating media and putting it on YouTube. But what they were producing was something that um, might have lacked in value at least from our adult perspective, right? I mean, some of the stuff was just silly and some of it was dangerous, but we were like, wow, what would it be like to harness this interest in videography and in homemade videos uh, for good? And because the Center for Interfaith Relations had that focused on interfaith relations, we thought it might be powerful to invite young people to come together and um, young people from a variety of faith backgrounds uh, and to create messages of peace and hope and conflict resolution even, and to share those on social media. So that's how that program began. And it's evolved over time. You know, the focus gets nuanced. Making media that matters has been one of our programmatic focuses. But over the last couple of years, matter of fact, just almost one year ago, a month ago, I guess it was, 
I turned the leadership of that program over to Elijah Fossil. Elijah was one of the first young people that entered the doors when we began to offer programming uh, for the very first time at the Center for Interfaith Relations. And now they're leading that program, uh, working with young people to find their voices, to identify the issues that they really care about in the world, and to create social media uh, that promotes uh, those issues that they're concerned about and promotes people taking action on behalf of those issues. So it's something that I delight in because I helped make it up. Uh, and I really enjoyed co-leading it for a long time. And now it is another one of those places where my role has changed and I'm much more providing mentorship and support to Elijah rather than running the program because young people know young people best, young people know social media best. And the program that Elijah creates is so much better than the program that I could create. So one of my great pleasures is being able to, to pass that on to a worthy successor, right? Who's doing fantastic work with young people. And then a very important part of that work, Jamie, is developing youth leadership. So the Peacecasters program is designed to lift young people up and to provide them with opportunities to lead the program. So not only, you know, did I step back for Elijah to lead, but in ways now Elijah's already stepping back for the next generation to lead. And so not only do we have that wonderful journey, but we're also helping to create strong leaders who can go out into the community and whatever work they're doing, I think our influence is there and it's a very positive influence. Yeah, Elijah is such a, an awesome uh, leader and uh, doing some great things with Peacecasters. As a matter of fact, some of the leadership that you, you mentioned, I have noticed in the public eye recently. And so that's a, that's a real pleasure to see that happening. What are some of the projects and successes that you can call recall from Peacecasters? Well, I mean, pre-COVID, as you know, Jamie, as a volunteer, you know, we gathered for camps, day camps with young people. And there's, there's not a time that happened where magic didn't occur, right? In the sense that young people build these relationships and connections, they make friends and find allies and find their voices, you know, feel, feel like they're being told their voice matters and they believe it, you know, uh, and, it, and it changes what's possible for young people when they're given the mic, if you will. And so uh, that happens like at every camp. And so that's been a long, an ongoing success story, right? Is to host a camp and watch young people become empowered and friends, right? Two awesome things. Also, you know, there are particular young people that have come through our program, like Fernanda Schaffenberger, who's a leader in the climate movement. And she's a fine example of young leadership. And knowing that, that we played a role in the development of her leadership is just a, a, something I take great pride in, right? And it's wonderful. She's not the only one, you know, it's amazing to see what young people are capable of. And I'm delighted that our program has been able to uh, make the way easier for them. So Mark Steyer, you've uh, had a major influence on the program of the organization Creation Spirituality. Creation Spirituality is articulated by Matthew Fox, I think you've mentioned him, uh, Johanna Macy's work that reconnects and the quote universe story in both as presented by Thomas Berry and Brian Swim. You've spent time learning from each of these folks. Would you share your insight concerning these topics as well as leadership experience you've had with these individuals? Sure, Jim. Let's let's see here. The work that reconnects is articulated primarily by Joanna Macy is some of the most powerful material that I've encountered. And um, 
when we brought Joanna to town in 2000 and was it 2009? It resulted in me spending a week, most of that time in sessions with her as we offered first an evening, then uh, a weekend, and then a four additional days. And so you could go deeper and deeper, right? The longer that you stayed. And frankly, she's just one of the most powerful teachers that I've encountered. And I've sought out that experience again, going out to California to spend the five days with her. Joanna's one of the the most grounded human beings I know. And she's kind of uh, like the grandmother that every environmentalist wants, you know, her, her sensitivity and her creativity has just greatly informed the work that I do. And yeah, I'm, I really am blessed to have spent time and to learn her work directly from her, right? Rather than to get it from the, a, a second or third generation down. Joanna is teaching less and less as she gets older. And so I'm really glad that I did have that opportunity. Yeah, you know, all of this work, the, the work that reconnects creation, spirituality, and the universe story is part of the work that Cultivating Connections is committed to, to help shift our consciousness and to help turn our awareness to the things that are really important. You know, we are obsessed with unimportant things in our culture. And primary is our relationship with planet Earth and the work that reconnects. And Joanna Macy really supports that. Also connected to that is awareness around the universe story. It's another way that we connect to Earth and the universe that brought us planet Earth. And the idea there is that by studying the scientific journey of the universe, we're learning a lot about ourselves as well. And this is new information, right? It's only been in the last 50 years that we begin to have this depth of understanding of how evolution turned uh, what was once a molten, molten ball of lava, planet Earth, you know, into a planet that produces rose bushes and giraffes and sings opera, right? This happened, you know, and it happened through the creativity of the universe and of earth. And we are somewhat oblivious to that reality. And so it's really a powerful thing, I believe, for us to study the story of the universe, study the story of planet earth, because it is to explore and discover our own story. Earth emerged from the universe, humans emerged from earth. And, and it's such a powerful reality that we've almost forgotten, right? That planet Earth has been this evolving creative process for like 4 billion years and has amazingly produced these crazy human beings that have this capacity to fall in love with Earth and to create art because they so fall in love with Earth. And that relationship is powerful and beautiful and I think should be more informative of who we are on a daily basis. And so to study the universe story briefly with Thomas Berry and more extensively with Brian Swim, who are primary articulators, has just been a wonderful opportunity and has uh, greatly influenced how I see the universe and planet Earth and our species as a result, right? Um, yeah, that, that's a story that's not particularly covered in depth in our public school system, partly because of political reasons, partly because of just not enough time and space to cover everything. But yeah. It, no pun intended. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
Sure. Mark, can you tell us a little more about, you've mentioned uh, focusing on gratitude before. Uh, that seems to be at this particular time of the year, close to Thanksgiving, an appropriate topic to approach maybe again a little more in depth. Yeah. I mean, I just think it's so important that we recognize the power that gratitude has and how radical gratitude can be. John Macy, you know, describes gratitude as even being like subversive and liberating. And, and so, you know, here we are coming around once again to the time of uh, Thanksgiving. And I just, you know, think it's so important for us to, to look at the fullness of what Thanksgiving means and the fullness of what appreciation and gratitude means because because it is subversive, you know. Gratitude brings our focus to what is and to what is good. You know, that's powerful stuff. Gratitude brings us into the present moment, brings us into that place of here and now. That is powerful stuff to humans spend so much time, you know, thinking about the past and and the future. And the, it's so important that we're in this moment and gratitude can just bring us right there. Gratitude is subversive and liberating because it frees us from the consumer culture control, right? If we're satisfied with what we have, if we have that gratitude, then we're not so susceptible to the advertising world of the consumer culture that's trying to sell us on the idea that we're lacking. The more we focus on gratitude, the less we are in that place of lacking. And it's and it's subversive and liberating because it brings us to that place of awe and wonder and celebration. It, and it's subversive because it just, that nourishes our heart. And I think now, you know, like in a moment, like we find ourselves right now, it's also very powerful because it anchors us. Gratitude provides a solid anchor during challenging times. And by golly, gratitude reminds us of how much we care. And that is one important thing about humans that we need to lift up is our big hearts and the fact that we have this incredible capacity for love and appreciation. And I think gratitude is really powerful also because we can access gratitude at any time, even when it's not the best moment, right? We can ground ourselves in gratitude. We can uh, use memory to call gratitude back into our present moment and use that to anchor ourselves, to ground ourselves, and to uplift ourselves. So I'm hoping, you know, this Thanksgiving that there is a really great focus on us being very aware of the power of gratitude. So Mark, since you've mentioned the power of gratitude, Jamie and I want to express our gratitude to you for participating on Solutions to Violence today. And we want to say to our listeners, we are out of time. Our guest today has been Mark Steiner. Mark Steiner is the founder and director of the Louisville-based Cultivating Connection. Our program that features Mark Steiner will be repeated Tuesday, December 1st at 8 a.m. and Wednesday, December 2nd at 6 a.m. You can listen live stream by visiting our website at forwardradio.org. Click on Listen Live Now. This Solutions to Violence will be placed in our archives Wednesday, December 2nd. To listen through our archives, visit our website at forwardradio.org, scroll down to Program Archives, and then to Solutions to Violence program that features Mark Steiner. Thank you once again for joining us with Solutions to Violence. Be well, be safe, be the solution.